Hey, Trojan fans, welcome to the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. It's part of the peristylepodcast.com series of podcasts, and I'm the uh, publisher of uscfootball.com. we got a good show for you this week on the podcast. Of course, we got to talk about USC's big win over number four ranked, previously number four ranked Stanford. We're going to have uh, former USC quarterback Sean Salisbury coming up a little bit later on in the show, and former USC quarterback Shane Foley joining us right now. What's going on, Shane? How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Great to be back on. Great win on uh, on Saturday, and looking forward to uh, talking about it. Yeah, we got a lot to to get to, so we want to jump right in. But I want to let you know if you want to follow Shane Foley on Twitter, Shane Foley underscore USC, or you can read his Foley report, uh, which he writes every week at ShaneFoley dot com. And Shane, I know we kind of talked about the importance of this game. We didn't really talk too much about Cal last week, but we really do got to talk about Stanford yeah. this week. It was such a big deal. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember an environment like that at the Coliseum. It's been a while since you saw that kind of ex- excitement there. Yeah. I mean, I think the electricity going into this game, the excitement, the enthusiasm, everything that was leading up to it, I think from the outside looking in, there are a lot of doubters, you know, and a lot of people, I mean, just on Facebook, social media, you know, had a lot of things really negatively to say, uh, really in favor of Stanford and just thought it was going to be a joke and that this was all overhyped. So I think going into it, uh, clearly a lot at stake. We knew that going in. Uh, ESPN setting up shop there, uh, you know, on Friday, game day coming in, homecoming on campus. Really just a lot riding and obviously losing four straight to those guys. They were 15-0 and against the California schools with Cal, UCLA, and, and USC in their last 15 matchups. So just a lot going into this. But I think really outside looking in, that's the viewpoint. I think there were a lot, there was a lot of positivity, you know, from people that I were talking, you know, that I've talked to about USC's ability to, to stand up and, and play four quarters with Stanford. It's a tall order. We knew that going in, uh, you know, obviously uh, in retrospect, only 13 guys playing on defense, and, uh, you know, not a lot of guys rotating on offense either, you know, in the trenches. So I think that, uh, you know, the excitement was there. Everything really had uh, teed up to be a great, great matchup. The electricity before the game was very similar to some of the big games in the Pete Carroll era. You know, really going back to, I remember the USC-Ohio uh, State game when, you know, when we got after them and college game day was there and uh, we really beat them down really well in that game. So I think before the game, the excitement leading up to it was phenomenal. Uh, after the game, I can't remember a game like it. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously we were all there and a lot of people listening were there at that uh, at that game. You know, and I think part of it was beating the number four BCS team in the uh, in the country. But part of it, uh, certainly every bit as much, if not more, was everything that USC's faced with the coaching change midseason for the first time in the school's history, the NCAA corruption that we've talked a lot about over the course of this season, and uh, just everything that's taken uh, place, limited scholarships, uh, you know, but it just was, a, I think, a fan base and an alumni that, that was basically starving, you know, to, to get back to, you know, to having USC uh, be where it should be and uh, beating Stanford in, in, a, in a huge matchup and beating a top-five team. Yeah, starving. I think is a great way to put it, and uh, you know, just a, a phenomenal effort uh, by Coach Orgeron and by the entire team. And I guess the the most mystifying thing for me, and I can't really remember 
hearing about something like this happening before. Everyone knows that Stanford offensive line's tough and, and great. They're able to run the ball and, and just a team that can power you and bowl you over. Typically, you would say, okay, well, you're going to need to use a big rotation, lots of guys coming in and out, trying to keep people fresh. You're going to get beat up by the Stanford front. And what does USC do? It's like they does the exact opposite. Basically, they had a, a regular package with the five down linemen, and then they had a nickel package. And essentially right. 12 guys played on defense where just one guy switched in and out. Like guys like Leonard Williams, who didn't practice all week, played every snap. I mean, I don't know if you remember anything like that happening before, especially against a team like this where you think you would need to do the exact opposite. No, I, I can't remember anything. I mean, from the time I played in the late 80s and or, you know early 90s, uh, I've never seen anything quite like it that I can recall. You know, certainly some of the great uh, defenses under the Pete Carroll era, you know, they had, uh, you know, some great teams up there, you know, great front sevens, but they had a lot of depth, as you recall. So we could rotate and get guys in, give guys a blow, you know, have guys come in and not really have much of a drop-off. This week, like you said, Leonard Williams with his shoulder, you know, he didn't play against Cal, you know, questionable kind of going into this one, held him out of practice. Um, you know, obviously Lamar Dawson being out in sorrow, uh, having an opportunity to step in and, and, uh, he's played obviously earlier, you know, in the season too. And, but having a tremendous game, I think, you know, just taking a look at it from top to bottom, you know, 12, 13 guys playing on the defensive side of the ball, as you said, you know, that was going to be the key going into this game was, you know, was, it was going to be a game at the line of scrimmages coach O mentioned, you know, it was going to be a game in the trenches. And, you know, we, we knew we were going to get hit, but were we going to be able to hit back? And were we going to be able to hit back for four quarters? And I think that question was answered. You know, Leonard Williams, I mean, I, I remember, you know, in the fourth play, you know, fourth um, quarter kind of later in the game, Andres Pete, you know, big, uh, you know, 300 plus, 320, 330, you know, pound lineman. And, uh, and, and basically Leonard Williams just gave him a shoulder shrug and dropped him to his knees and just swallowed up Gaffney. You know, it's that kind of thing that we saw time and time again. Sorrow with his tackles, Case Pillard stepping up, making some big tackles. You know, certainly we gave up a few big plays that, that led to a lot of the yards that they had. The Gaffney run in the first quarter uh, early in the game. And, uh, you know, a couple of other plays that, uh, that got them a lot of yards. But by and large, you know, we shut them down and, and, and went toe-to-toe with those guys. As Coach O said, we were, gonna, we, you know, we were going to for four quarters. You know, the uh, USC secondary has been getting a lot of flack <laughs> throughout the season. But a couple of picks, a couple of big picks in the fourth quarter. I thought Clancy Pendergast did a good job of, it seemed like, in run situations. They always had, uh, you know, the regular package in there with five linemen kind of stuff in the middle. Really trying to make... Kevin Hogan beat you with his arm. Um, but then I think that the USC secondary stepped up too when they had to, especially those two big plays in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. You know, I mean, we certainly uh, caught some breaks early. Uh, you know, obviously uh, the one-on-one with Montgomery uh, in the first quarter, really uh, very early in the game with him dropping that ball over Josh Shaw. He had him by a step and a half. But I think these guys, you know, as we've talked about all season, having your best 11, it's 11-on-11 11 11 football. You know, there's only 11 guys on the football, you know, on, on the football field at one time. And that's what we basically played with, you know, maybe 12, 13 guys. But Josh Shaw moving back to the corner has been huge. You know, really uh, being able to physically, he's a specimen as we know, but really being able to step up uh, against the run, tackles well on the open field, and really can cover and do a good job of that. Deion Bailey with a huge pick. 
great, great play. You know, and obviously in a very, uh, you know, in a very much a crunch situation down there with them driving and uh, making that play. I don't think Hogan saw him on that. I'm looking at it again. And then Sua Craven's coming up with a, you know, a monster interception uh, down there to set up the last, uh, the last score, which I know we'll get to. So, yeah, I think all these guys, I mean, Demetrius Wright, you know, stepping in, uh, you know, and playing very good football at safety. Um, you know, I think all in all, these guys have really, uh, you know, Kevon Seymour, you know, is getting better week in and week out. You know, I think these guys are consistently improving. I think what you're seeing, though, is a team really playing together. And even when they do give up a big play, they answer. They'll hit a guy for three, four-yard losses, you know, and uh, rebound and recover from it. And, and obviously the, the defense stepped up and made big plays down the stretch when they had to. We had to win the turnover battle in this football game. I really believe that going in with the two, uh, with the two uh, interceptions, and the blocked PAT, I mean the blocked uh, blocked uh, field goal, I should say, um, really were uh, the difference in this football game, and the defense delivered. Defense did, and uh, I thought the offense came out and played well. I mean, it was uh, you know the, at least in the first half, the running game was it was tough. It was it was tough yep. sledding there, but uh, Cody Kessler, you know, Pac-12 Player of the Week, he had a great game. It it looked a little bit like. Notre Dame at times where the first half he looks like very comfortable you can move the ball and the second half not so much what, what did you think about overall the offensive uh, performance well you know that that first half was really remarkable Brian to to see what they did uh, really with mixing the pass and the run we weren't obviously running the ball great you know and doing a great job of, of, of running the football um, but I think by and large uh, we made a lot of plays Cody Kessler you know, what was it, four or five weeks ago, you know, you and I both were hearing from a lot of people, they just didn't think he was the guy. You know, get Max Whittick in there, get Max Brown, you know, in there. You know, there are a lot of people that, that questioned him and doubted him. I never really did. I, I really thought that he had what it takes to be a great quarterback and to lead USC uh, this season. And so uh, I think that he stepped up. I, some of the movement that I've talked about on the full report, uh, moving in the pocket, Really feeling pressure, not seeing it, stepping up and making plays, throwing darts, putting the ball on the money. You know, I think he started 11 of 12. So very, very accurate, very good decision-making. You know, we had the one fumble uh, that, that, you know, obviously we kind of got bailed out with the blocked uh, field goal that negated that. But, you know, it was a tremendous game. His best game of the Trojan, um, you know, really stepping up on that fourth and two. And, you know, obviously we could talk a little bit about that. But, you know, that, that snap, when I'm looking at it again, that snap was at his left shoe. And he picked that up <laughs> with Shane Scove in his face and, and delivered to Marquise Lee on that fourth and two to, to set up uh, the, the game winner. So I think, you know, clearly deserves the Pac-12 Player of the Week. Uh, clearly his best game. And just excited to uh, you know to build on it and uh, to see the progress that he's made. I thought it was a really very very good effort. Yeah, and especially for a guy like Cody, who's is a, you know he's a young quarterback, hasn't that many starts under his belt. And I don't know if you've had situations like this before in your playing days, but I'm sure you have. When you don't, you can't really rely on the run game, and you're you're handing the ball off, and you're, it's basically second and ten every every time, yeah, or second right. and fifteen or something like that. Second and twelve, like sometimes, yeah. yeah, second and fourteen, yeah. Um, I mean, what is that? What kind of pressure does that put on you as a quarterback when it's basically you know it's going to be on your arm because the running game just isn't there? 
Well, I think there's pressure on you, and then there's also pressure on the uh, guy calling calling the plays. I mean, you've got to take a look at it. When the run's being shut down, there's certainly not as much of a uh, concern about play action, you know, when they're basically shutting the running game down and not able to run it effectively and, you know, being put in these long yardage situations. So you've got to go to a shotgun, buy some time with a, with a very, very uh, aggressive front seven and a very stout, strong defensive front uh, that Stanford has, you know, it just puts pressure on you to make good decisions and to deliver the ball quickly and accurately. And I think that's something that we're seeing more of, you know, with Cody, you know, back there in the pocket again, movement that he had in the first half, stepping up, throwing the ball, scrambling toward the line of scrimmage, you know, was very, very important. I think there were some times before he'd get a little bit uh, flustered. He'd maybe take his eyes off his receivers and not really where to go. The movement in the pocket is much better. You know, the moxie and the confidence that he's really exemplifying uh, has come a long, long way in a short period of time. As you said, very much, you know, first-year starter, redshirt sophomore, so not a lot of starts under his belt, but he's made a lot of progress. And this was a, you know, a huge game uh, to step up, you know, on national TV and under the big lights and deliver. Uh, just the whole football team, as well as Cody Kessler, really, uh, really stepped up and and showed that they can play in, in a in a, very, in a pressure situation. But a lot of it, going back to your question, Coach Helton, you know, got to take a look at ways to, uh, you know, to to get the football out of your hand and, and to you know to get it to guys, your playmakers. Uh, I thought they did have good distribution. You know, Aguilar had. Uh, some just some great plays catching the ball and, and knowing where the first downs were with second effort to uh, to get up you know get upfield. Marquis Lee, I can't say enough about him uh, playing you know obviously with some injuries uh, and not being at 100 percent, but coming back out and and and, and really uh, stepping up in the in the clutch you know especially on that fourth down, but just making some big big plays. Uh, just a lot of heart I think exemplified by the whole uh, you know by the whole team. You mentioned uh, Cody Kessler getting rid of the ball quickly, and actually, we asked him about that Tuesday after practice, and he said, "Okay." He said, "What?" Well, he asked him like how he thought he played, and he he said he missed some throws, which was uh, right. true, but he did he did complete ten in a row. But he said the yeah. one thing he thought he did well was he got rid of the ball quickly and kind of eliminated uh, the pass rush. I, when when you're talking about the the run game not doing so well, it seemed kind of odd to me. I wanted to get your comments on that him getting rid of the ball quickly, but also the offensive line. Was that why it didn't look like there was as much pressure on Kessler? It looked like the the run game would just get decimated, but the pass protection seemed at least pretty decent, which is it's kind of weird, I guess. You you look at it that. Well, I think the offensive line clearly, you know, it, you know, game in the trenches. I mean, you know, take a look at you know, obviously the other side of the ball. We already talked about Leonard Williams and Uko and Antoine Woods, but on the offensive side of the football, that was very, very important too, because you know, obviously having a, a you know a lack of depth on on defense that we've already talked about really required us to hold on to the football and, and to move the chains and to give our defense a rest, especially when you're not rotating guys. So I think that really starts up front, and and I think. You know, really to a man, these guys have improved a lot. Andre Walker, uh, from where he was last year to where he is now, is night and day. You know, and even earlier this season, I mean, the strides he's made have been huge. Chad Wheeler's got great feet. Still, uh, you know, obviously as a redshirt freshman, going to continue to gain uh, some, some strength and some size. 
you know, but he's got the fundamental, uh, you know, the fundamentals down. I think he's got very good feet, positions himself well, you know, big frame to work with, doing well, Max Turk. Uh, you know, we didn't win every battle, you know. I mean, it wasn't a situation where, you know, where we, uh, you know, where we won every one-on-one situation. But by and large, giving up two sacks, you know, to these guys, uh, to Stanford and, and, you know, what they've been able to do to other teams, uh, it was it was encouraging, and, and it does start up front. I think that uh, you know, especially as things kind of closed in on us in the second half on the Trojans, um, they did have to you know find some ways in shotgun you know to get the ball out of their hands. There were some throws. It was tougher sledding in the second half. I mean, let's let's you know be honest. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about Notre Dame. You talked about that. I mean, that was a painful. <laughs> painful second half out there. I don't even want to relive that one. But, you know, this game, you know, we did move the ball at times. We did, uh, com- you know, we did move the chains. Uh, but we just had to, um, you know, we had to find ways, and, and Kessler did, you know, to your point, uh, with the offensive line blocking the way they did, get the ball out of his hands. And, you know, with Aguilar and Lee, especially, you know, down the stretch, you know, in the crunch time, I can't say enough about that, calling the timeout. You know, and Helton saying, "Hey, we can do this, and we can get this." And Coach O saying, "Absolutely, let's do it," and and then delivering because you know you take a look at that. I mean, that that uh, defensive back was draped pretty much all over Marquise Lee. You know, he made the uh, you know made the cut and, and got open there on the fourth and two, and you know a perfect strike right over Shane Scove. Um, so just a lot of lot of big plays that were made when they had to be. That uh, you're talking about that fourth and two and the final drive, you know, set up with the. Yeah. USC made a couple of big plays in the fourth quarter. I think you could argue there'd be like four huge plays in the fourth quarter, two interceptions, the fourth and two, and the the 47-yard field goal. I thought they would need yeah. to make one big play in the fourth quarter. I didn't think they'd need to make four to, yeah. to win this one. But that final drive was, was pretty crazy, and, and you're getting down into like, I think it was like a 38-yard field goal, and they end up losing like eight or nine <laughs> yeah, yards or something. Yeah, nine yards, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. And, you know, uh, Ryan, I mean, it just, you know, backing up a little bit to that decision, because that was a huge decision, which, you know, ultimately could be a big decision for Coach Orgeron as the head guy. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of riding on that in that situation, clearly losing some tough games uh, to Stanford three out of the last four years. Uh, and close games, you know, last-minute field goal a few years back up at, you know, at Stanford, triple overtime loss. So, you know, this was something, I think, in the back of their minds, knowing that, uh, you know, that monkey's been on the back, you know, of the Trojans. And so calling that uh, timeout, going over, talking about it, I was very much an advocate, you know, as tough as it was to make that decision, to go for it. Because I really – we were really kind of getting out muscled in that second half. You could feel it. We were having a very tough time, you know, making first downs and making plays. We're in a fourth and short situation. And I thought we really should go for it. So, you know, my hat's off to, to Coach Joe and Coach Helton for making that decision to do it uh, because I felt like if we were going to go into overtime that uh, the momentum certainly was not ours. And so I, I just wanted to kind of point that out first. But to the big plays, yeah. I mean, it was really a bend but don't break. Our defense – you know, played valiantly. Those guys were warriors, you know, stepping up and making the plays when they needed to. You know, obviously the sack column uh, for SC on Stanford was not deep, but how many times did we get pressure on Hogan? How many times did we disrupt him, you know, get in his face, hit him as he delivered the ball? You know, he definitely was uh, hit 
more by USC than he had been all season. And so really a tribute to, to our defense and to them stepping up and making plays. As we've talked about, the be- best pass defense is a great pass rush. I don't care if you're Tom Brady, Kevin Hogan, or whoever. You know, getting pressure on the quarterback and getting him out of a rhythm is the biggest thing. And so I think, you know, USC did deliver. We did stand and trade punches with those guys for 60 minutes, you know, with, you know, with 12, 12, 13 guys on defense. And the big plays that you're talking about, you know, with the interceptions, uh, setting that up and, and, you know, obviously taking points off the board when they had a first and four, you know, uh, first and goal from the four and then got backed up to about the 10 before, you know, Bailey made his pick. I was hoping he was going to run that back <laughs> Yeah, it because like it our should've. offense was having so much trouble moving the ball. I was hoping that uh, he was going to take that one all the way back, but he kind of cut it inside. But big, big, big play by Deion Bailey and then, you know, kind of an acrobatic play by Sula Cravens to make that interception to set up the uh, the game-winning score and what can you say about Andre Hidari you know obviously very uh, very challenging season um, with you know some misses and uh, missed, missed extra points not just missed field goals the Notre Dame game you know missing two out there uh, but really uh, you know I'd come into the game with a couple guys that I had played with and I said you know what my my prediction was 24-21. We all kind of made our predictions. Uh, one of my buddies uh, said 20 to 17. I know 21 to 17 SC, which was you know one point off. And I said I said 24-21 with Andre Hadari to make a kick to win it. And so I wasn't right on the score, but I was right uh, calling Hadari uh, delivering in, in the clutch. And, and oh, 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 what a kick it was! It certainly was, and uh, you got a lot of confidence <laughs> after that one. It's crazy. It's just yeah. You know, one of the things I'd say about it too, Ryan, I know we're, we're really talking about the plays more so than anything else, but one of the things I'd say, you know, just as a former player, watching these guys, you know, and what they have to say after the game, and, and obviously we can talk about coaching depending on how much time we have, but um, – Andre Hidari saying all the right things, you know, talking about, you know, missing that extra point and saying, hey, guy, you know, my guys came back and hit that two-point conversion. And it's almost like everybody's got the other guys back. They're playing for the guy right next to him. You hear Coach O talking about a one-team, one-heartbeat. has been the mantra, as we know. But, you know, listen to these guys talk and give credit to the guys around them. You know, they're all saying the right things. You know, Cody Kessler giving credit to his linemen, to his receivers, uh, Dion Bailey, you know, talking about, uh, you know, how great it is playing for Coach Orgeron. I mean, these guys are all saying what you expect to be hearing, you know, from from a great team and a team that's playing together. So that's been really uh, fantastic to see. All right. Well, we got to talk about the game, big game, but the the real. I mean, we've both done a bunch of radio recently, and all anyone wants yeah. to talk about is Ed Orgeron, who might be, he's kind of like the Pete Carroll going on right now, like one of the most popular figures in L.A. The fans are loving him. Uh, yep. we, we do polls online on, on uscfootball.com, and about 75% don't even want to look at another head coach. They just want to hire uh, Ed Orgeron. Uh, we know Pat Hayden's going to take his time and make his decision, but what what are your thoughts on the whole USC head coaching situation and what Orgeron's done 5-1 and one as the interim head coach? Well, first of all, it's just been a tremendous job with what Coach Orgeron has done to really change uh, the culture at USC. And, you know, you can talk a little bit about the treats and, you know, the In-N-Out Burger and, and uh, you know, the Roscoe's Chicken and all the things that, uh, 
you know, have kind of made things a little bit lighter over their cookies and ice cream and all that kind of stuff. But let's make no mistake about it. I mean, the adjustments that they're making, the buy-in that they're getting from top to bottom, you know, there is differences, huge differences. Um, you know, on both sides of the ball, uh, you know, big plays. I mean, take a look at the special teams plays that have been made. I mean, so really in all phases of it, you know, up at Cal with the two punt returns and then the third one really off the block up there. I mean, you, you know, in all phases of the game, you're seeing tremendous things happening. And so, you know, this is a team that, that really has bought in and, and you no, know, obviously starting 0-2 and giving up 62 points to, you know, ASU, uh, you, you know, you and I were both at the Washington State game. I've never seen it. I've never seen the Coliseum that dark, you know, in that game with boos uh, as loud as I've ever heard them, you know, in a fire Kiffin chant that took place with the recruits, you know, at that game was really demoralizing. I mean, it was very, very tough. So to see the Coliseum on Saturday, last Saturday, you know, beating Stanford 50 plus probably running down onto that field, unlike anything I've ever seen, even when, uh, you know, when, when USC ended the Notre Dame streak, there might've been maybe a third of that many people on the field. So that was, Really amazing. And so, you know, really talking about all this just to give Coach O the, the due that he deserves. It's been tremendous. I know he was a disciple, really uh, spent a lot of time in Marv Goo's later days when he was first here in 98 uh, under Hackett, uh, Coach O. Uh, I know he spent a lot of time. So he knows, uh, you know, he, he knows and understands USC. He loves, uh, he loves USC. Um, part of the, you know, obviously it really emphasizes the Trojan family takes time to go over and see the band. You know, he, he's a guy that gets it. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, does he deserve it right now? I, I don't think he does at this time. My, my take would be, you know, he's done tremendous work five and zero in the, in the conference, you know, we had a tough loss out at Notre Dame you know, to be five and one, but it's all about how you finish. There's a lot of emotion that's riding high at USC right now. And, and it should be, you know, we've got a lot of momentum going, going into the final two, uh, two regular season games. But as, as we know, Ryan, um, USC is measured against how they play against the rivals and what, what Pete raised the bar to was 16 and two, you know, eight and one and eight and one against UCLA and Notre Dame in nine years to go 16 and two against his rivals. So, you know, obviously that's not going to happen too often. You know, you can take a look at coach McKay and Robinson. Nobody's really had that sustained success that, uh, you know, that, that coach Carroll did, but that's really a big part of this. And so I think it's, you know, all the things that I'm hearing, you know, they're coming out of the athletic department are positive. I mean, Hey, this is a great game. It was a tremendous victory savored. It's something you'll have for the rest of your lives, but this is just the beginning. You know, this is the beginning of where we're going to. It isn't where we're at. We haven't arrived. We've got a lot of work to do. And so I like that message that's being delivered. Uh, ultimately, I think we have to see, and, 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 you know, you already mentioned it earlier, you know, Pat Hayden is, is a guy that's very thorough. He's not a quick trigger. He's not a guy that, uh, that acts on, on impulse or on emotion. So he's going to take a look at this from all sides. We, uh, we've already, you know, known that he's interviewed Del Rio. He's going to do the interviews and conduct, uh, you know, this from all sides and, and do what he needs to do, but there's still football to be played. And, you know, we got to take care of business up in Colorado. I think those games, you know, the, the games that are, you know, these so-called trap games, those are uh, games that define a coach. You know, certainly we lost 
games in, in, you know, in the Pete Carroll era that we should have won. I mean, up at Oregon State, uh, you know, number number of games, uh, Stanford, you know, early on in that, um, you know, there were games that we needed to win that we lost. And so I think this is, you know, a big test to obviously, you know, get through this game with Stanford on one side after a big win, going up to Colorado, you know, a team that's improving, even though obviously they haven't had a lot of success in conference, you know, beating Cal badly last Saturday. I think they're trending the right direction and playing better, you know, and then obviously finishing with a huge game against UCLA across town. So right now my thought is I think that Coach O should be considered. I certainly don't think uh, – I'm not of the, the belief that, you know, that he's not the right guy. I just think that it, it's premature now and you have to finish the season with where where things are. And, and certainly uh, depending on how we finish, I think he should be right – you know, right in there in the mix uh, to be considered as a full-time coach. No, I agree with you, Shane. It's funny because we're w- looking on uscfootball.com, uh, looking on Twitter. He's a very polarizing figure right now. Like I said, about our polls we're doing, about 75% are supporting him. And those that, but there's a lot of others that don't. They don't want to see USC go that direction. And, and the, I guess the part that bothers me is that people don't even want to wait to see what happens, and they're just they're like, "Oh, hire him now," or "You should never hire him. He's not the right guy." And I just don't know how you know that, and how you can be so adamant about you know one way or the other. And yeah, I think so the thing black that, and white, yeah. And it bothers me a lot that the people that I can understand if you don't want to hire him, you want to get a big name, but you don't diminish the accomplishments he's. Made. I mean, to beat Stanford by only playing twelve guys on defense and have 50 yeah. guys on scholarship. I mean, he's done some amazing things. Now, you could still argue he shouldn't be the head coach, but don't take away from what he's done. I mean, he's done a lot. He turned this program around. He bought, got people to buy in. Maybe that's not worthy of, of becoming the full-time head coach. That's not for me to decide, but don't diminish what he's done. He has done some amazing things. Well, anybody that is not, uh, you know, not giving credit words to or discrediting, you know, anything that he's accomplished – uh, I don't think they follow the the football program at USC because you know we just talked about it before. I mean, starting 0 and 2, the the feel at the Coliseum. You know, I mean, they listed the crowds in the 60s. I, I think there were a couple of those games were more like 45. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, people were apathetic. They didn't want to be there. People were boycotting. You know, USC football. I mean, that's just the truth. I mean, some of your listeners out there were some of them probably that 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 boycotted. You know, going to football games. You know, because it just got so bad. Um, so I think to come in and and impact the football team. You know, bringing guys back, bringing guys like Marcus back. You know, bringing uh, Anthony Munoz back, Rodney Pete. You know, one of my teammates. You know, bringing these guys in. You know, some of the leaders and some of the legends that that played for USC. But bringing these guys around, knowing and 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 showing this football team how much they care, how much he cares. You know, personally. Uh, you know, about these guys. The players feel it. I mean, they know when something's authentic, Ryan. And believe me, you know, I've been in, you know, played the played the game for you know 17, 18 years. You know, as a kid through you know age 24, you feel it. You know, an authenticity when somebody is real. You know, you feel it as a player. And so that's the kind of thing that he's been able to do. You know, these players know that he cares. It's it's genuine. It's authentic. He believes in them. He he's built that trust. You know, with them. And, and, and again, on all phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams, he was smart. You know, he brought in a defensive line coach to free himself up to be able to, you know, to be able to spend time with the entire team and be the head guy. 
these guys know it. And so anybody that's looking at this and not giving credit where it's due is, is not based, you know, again, they're not really following, you know, really the reality in my mind uh, of USC football. And so I think credit does have to be given to them again, you know, five and zero. Oh, we lost to Notre Dame. We may be having a little different conversation if we'd run the table and had beaten, you know, our rival on the road in in in, in South Bend. But we got to finish. You know, Jim Moore across town. We're not looking overlooking Colorado. You know, but basically what they did to us last year at the Rose Bowl, what they did to you know the Trojans last year, they hit USC in the mouth. I mean, they took a twenty-four nothing lead. USC sleepwalked. You know, basically was sleepwalking in, into that game. I was there sitting there in the rain with my wife. It was horrible, yeah. horrible. You know, basically seeing us listless, no energy, sleepwalking when we were still playing for the, the, you know, the conference championship game in that situation was, uh, to me, unforgivable. And so, you know, we know we're not going to see that. You know, we know we went toe-to-toe with Stanford, you know, the, four, the fourth-ranked, you know, BCS fourth-ranked team in the country, and beat them, you know, when we lost four straight. Uh, all of the things that we've talked about already, I, I think that, you know, Coach O has to be commended. Uh, it's a tremendous job. Uh, I just think right now, again, knowing Pat well enough to know that he's not going to make, uh, you know, a, a quick emotional decision on this, and he's going to look at it from all sides. But I do think they need to uh, – I'd like to see him get a coach in place, whether it's Coach or Jerron as the head guy or, or bringing somebody in at least named – you know, in December, you know, early December, preferably certainly after the conference championship games, as you know, that's a huge time for recruiting, you know, in December uh, between then and the bowl game. So that's kind of the timing that I'd like to see. And I think that all judgment, you know, and final judgment needs to be reserved until after we uh, finish out these next two games. And, you know, obviously having an outside chance at the uh, conference championship game, we'd have to have some help to get there, but uh, there's a lot of football left uh, just with a couple games left. All right. Well, great stuff, Shane. We appreciate you coming on. You can follow him at Shane Foley underscore USC or check him out on ShaneFoley.com. Thanks for all the great stuff, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, I look forward to it, Ryan. Thanks a lot for having me on. All right. Thanks, Shane, and everyone else. Hey, back in a minute here, we're going to talk to former USC quarterback Sean Salisbury. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. We're back here on the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. We welcome in uh, Sean Salisbury on the line. What's up, Sean? How you doing? I'm doing great, bud. Good to talk to you. Always, always good. We're coming off big wins, that's for sure. That was certainly a uh, a big win. I don't know the last time you remember seeing a win like that for USC, but I don't, if, were you shocked? Were you surprised? Like, what, what did you think of the game? I'm never shocked when with the athletes we have that it, we win football games. I mean, who would have thought after all these years in SC football that we would ever be shocked when we beat a team, especially in our own building now. Stanford, they're monsters, physical, nasty, smart, 
really, really good football team. I have as much respect for them as I do any team in the country. But you know what? When you got pride, you're a member of the USC football team, and you've got a coach, <clears throat> excuse me, that is pushing the envelope, is instilled confidence in these guys. It doesn't matter who comes into our building. And that's SC treated it as if this was old school USC football. This is our building. You're going to come in here. If you win, you're going to walk out bruised and battered. And they gave Stanford all they could handle. And that, I meant that, I mean that in as complimentary as I can to Stanford. And when you beat a team at their own game and what they do best, you should, you should stand up and be proud. And I was really proud of the celebration and not, but people have to understand and some of the criticism that it's below us to celebrate. No, it's not. No, it's not. How dare anybody say it's below USC to celebrate? These are, these are young men that, are, that, that, that you could tell it was almost a cumulative effect of, man, we needed that. It wasn't, I don't believe it was just the fact that you beat the fourth-ranked team in America. I think it was the fact that you beat the fourth-ranked team in America and where they've started and where they've been through and the frustration over the last couple of years. Now, if I'm not mistaken, in 2012, this team was ranked, I think, second in the country going in, and it had been downhill since, since then until Coach O has taken over, other than a few good moments. And to see them get excited and the band and the crowd and to do what they did. I, I was so proud. I made sure I watched that game alone that I could, that I could watch every ounce of it and, and feel as much emotion as I could. I wish I could have been there, but I will be there in the Bruins and the Trojans get after it. I couldn't have been more proud to be a, a USC member of that football team and the way Coach Orgeron has them to play, has them playing. It looked like no dames in the jerseys, black cleats. It looked like FC the way they're supposed to look and I know speaking for a lot of football players and a lot of alum that that, that sure made us proud to be Trojans. That's great stuff. And, I, yeah, for, we'll talk about Ed Orgeron in a minute. I wanted to, to get a few more things on the game if we could. The, uh, the, I Please. Talked, yeah, the, talked to, to Shane Foley in the last segment about a little bit about the run game. You're a quarterback. You've played quarterback for years and years. Have you been in situations like that where the run game just isn't existent and you have to pretty much – it's all on you? Yes, I have, and it's happened at the college and pro level. Uh and when my freshman year, when I played some, but when, when wasn't the starter, it didn't happen much then when number 33 Marcus was running the ball. We had a run game if you had 15 guys on the field. Um, but there are those days. You know what? I've, I've always believed that you can a lot of times take a, the best player away. I mean, if you want to stop Des Bryant, you, you put two guys on him and roll him, and you would think the two guys would be efficient enough to stop a guy. If you want to stop you know, Marquise Lee, well, heck. Roll the coverage to him, and even as good as he is, you probably slow him down a little bit. Well, you know what? When you just don't want to – and you're playing against one of the great run defenses in America, one of the great front sevens, you knew it wasn't going to be easy anyway. But I love the response. Well, number one is we still kept trying to get after it. We still didn't just all of a sudden say we can't, we're going to be a finesse team, and we're not going to challenge you. We're still going to hit you in the mouth. That's the way we do. We may get two yards, one yard, then six yards, and two yards, two yards, and a pass or punt. But that, that hey – Nobody's ever said it was easy when 11 studs are lining up against you. And this university for years was based on line up an offensive line, pound the football, and beat you with student body right and 25 power. Well, over the years, it's become a university that produces a lot of top-flight quarterbacks and still a lot of top-flight linemen. And you get in these games sometimes where somebody else has got to make a play. Somebody else is another player, a second, the fullback out of the backfield, the tight end a slot receiver where it just can't be the star all the time. Well, you stop the run and Kessler, and you know what I want? I stood up and cheered for the guy because he's playing his biggest game of his career and delivered the football and made the play calling, I don't want to say easier, 
But boy, oh boy, wasn't it nice to see him deliver on some third down plays and not go three and out and be able to deal with the enormous pressure and to be able to at least keep the defense honest by making some huge throws in some pressure situations. But we've all had those. And seven weeks ago, I don't know if we could have handled it. I don't know. I don't know if the quarterback and the team would have been able to deal. As a matter of fact, I can tell you right now, I do know we would have got our butt kicked. That being said, the maturity of the quarterback, the play calling, the confidence that the head coach has shown in allowing these guys to do their thing, and in a game like that, it would be easy to say, "Man, you know, our quarterback's still young. We got to. We got to just. You know, we're going to cut off our nose to spite our face. We're going to be macho and pound our chest. We're just going to continue to pound them." Well. You still got to play. You still got to play football. And get first downs and move chains. And they played every damn down of the game. And I couldn't have been more proud. But boy, did that quarterback step up. And this will go a long way. And not only with his football team, but man, he's going to walk off this season and head into spring practice thinking, you know what? I'm pretty. I, I, I'm pretty good. He won't say that out loud, but he's got to feel it in his gut that I played against the number four ranked team in the country. And without my, without me throwing the ball like I did. It would have been a different result, and he should have been proud. But we'll do all the talking for him. He just needs to keep doing his thing and keep in prison. Yeah, he uh, was actually named Cody Kessler Pac-12 uh, Offensive Player of the Week. So, uh, and he earned every bit of it, Ryan, every bit of it. Now, what did you uh, – yeah, you train quarterbacks. You're, tra- you're in the middle of training quarterbacks right now, so we appreciate you carving out a few minutes for us. But what have you seen him as far as his progression? You mentioned a different quarterback than he was seven weeks ago. What's changed over the last you know couple months? Looks like he's seeing things quicker. You know, we could go through and, you know, if, if, I, if we were on TV instead of a radio, I could design and play with his feet and, and the things he's doing better in my mind because I always believe that with great mechanics and great understanding of defenses comes a job that becomes much simpler, even though it's not a simple position to play. But it's amazing that he made it look simple against Stanford. He really did. There were throws I didn't think he could make in that game, and he did. Um, but I always – how quick the ball's coming out with accuracy – and the recognition of coverage in a hurry makes it easier. And it didn't seem to me like he was hanging on a receiver too long if he was covered. It seemed to me like, okay, first one's covered, number two, boom, get to number three. And you look at what's going on in the NFL right now. Look at Colin Kaepernick's perfect example. Here's a guy who's enormously gifted, who was having trouble getting to his second, third receivers and, 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 and making quick and recognizing quickly coverage. When you let him just get to his first guy, he's unstoppable. But now they're defending him to the point where he's not getting to his first option because it's covered. And then by the time he gets to second or third, he's just a split second late, which makes him a little inaccurate, which makes him, you know, you, you squeeze the ball a little harder, maybe panic a little more. He'll come out of it because he's a good player. But using him as an example of a guy who's enormously talented, the quicker you – then you watch Manning, then you watch him when in a game. Ball comes out on time, doesn't get knocked to the ground. You help protection when you recognize coverage quicker. They don't have to hold up as long. Uh, against him, and you know Stanford started to come late in the game and started to put pressure on and hit him in the mouth, but he stood in there and stood in there. So the sooner the ball comes out with recognition of coverage, the better off your receivers have a chance, and the better off there's no wasted motion. And to me, he looks like the light switch is 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 is, is on quicker now in a game. It looks like it's bam. I recognize cover two and cover three, and when they're playing man, and that is the first step into knowing that you you're you're, you're close to being. You're close to being where you want to be. Now, he's got a long way to go, but, man, played against a real physical athletic team, and the recognition of coverage was really good, and the ball wasn't held long. He got it out. Yeah, we actually talked about him this week at practice, and he said the one thing he was doing, he felt he was doing better is getting rid of the ball, 
quickly. Yeah. I, I felt, too, he was he had a sense of where he was in the pocket. I think he felt the pressure a little bit better and was able to step up. And he, I thought he threw pretty well on the run. I don't know if you feel the same. He did. Oh, I did. And, and you know what? You do not have to be a great runner to be a great thrower on the run. And, he's a, you know, get out on the edge. And if you use your if the mechanics, stay strong. You can be a – I think Brady can throw the ball on the run. He's got great – he doesn't have fast feet. But he can manipulate it and get out and make some throws on the run. Look how good Andrew Luck is on the run at his side. I mean, you do not have to be a speed burner and a guy who runs a four-five or four-four to be good throwing on the run. You just got to understand when to take off, when to manipulate and slide step in the pocket, reset your feet. I also liked on the run that his head was up, looking for people, looking for places to throw the football. And when it wasn't there, then he take off and run. But he was always looking for options and doing those things. And the comfort in the pocket and how to manipulate that pocket. And I might have mentioned this on the show before, but I love quarterbacks who understand the playing in a hula hoop. If you can picture putting a hula hoop back at about six or seven yards when he dropped back and set up, then if you can operate in that hula hoop and move your feet quick and reset and throw the ball, that's what the Brayden Manning, Breeze, Brady, these guys do it extremely well. Dan Stops did it well. Aikman was great at it. You don't have to be a scrambler to be great either resetting your feet and getting it out. And he did a nice job, and that goes back to understanding coverage and understanding protections to where, okay, this guy's flashing across my face, but I trust my guy's going to step up and get him, slide my feet, reset. And then knowing when to bail, when to throw it out of bounds, when not to take a sack. There's a time and a place for it all, and he seems like he gets it. And I love not only the recognition of coverage, but the anticipation. A lot of times, young quarterbacks, you wait for the guy to come out of his break and then you use a, a, a strong arm to throw it. He was anticipating and throwing it to a spot and throwing it to grass, and guys were going and getting it. So a tribute to him for the comfort level, but a great job by the other players and by the coaching staff of getting him ready to play in a game that would have been real easy to say, we're outmatched, we shouldn't be confident, but they're playing like a team who believes they're as good as any team in the Pac-12 right now, whether they are or not, but they're sure acting and playing like it. They certainly are, and I know you got quarterbacks to train, but there's one topic we have to discuss before we let you go, if that's okay. If you got a couple Please. minutes, Ed Orgeron. Uh, I mean, it's a he's a very polarizing figure right now. It started on our message boards. A lot of the fans, I think our polls show about 75% of the fans want him. The other 25% don't, but it's it's both sides are very adamant. The people that want him, they say you should hire him now. The people that don't want him are like, how could you even consider it? I, it's, and I've seen it in the national media too. There's national media members that say, you have to hire this guy. And there's other ones that are like, there's no way you should hire this guy. I don't know why it's so polarizing and everyone's just picking a side and being so adamant about it. But what, what are your thoughts on the whole situation? Well, well, first of all, anybody that says, expert or not, national media member, fan, grandma, grandpa, male, female, that says you should not hire him, has no idea about football. I mean, I don't care who said it. I mean, when, now when I say shouldn't hire him, I mean right now make a knee-jerk reaction. Why? Okay, what, because he was, wasn't was overly successful at Ole Miss? Well, Belichick wasn't real good in Cleveland either. Okay, I, you want me to go down the long list of guys who have, have had trouble one place and gone on and been really good somewhere else? you got to have players too. Okay, and we got players. Now, here, let me tell you, and, and nor would I on the other side – the one thing he's got to guard against is the emotional decision either way. You can if you're Pat Hayden all of a sudden say, hey, we've had a couple good wins, then let's hire him. Everybody loves him, media loves him, the, the fans love him, he's just a normal blue-collar guy, the former players love him. We, we, hey, we lo- I, I love him. I'd call 10 miles over broken glass to, to be around the guy. I love what he does. I love everything about him. But if you're Pat Hayden, of course you can't make that decision right now. Hey, we've still got a couple games to play. It'd be, this, is a, this is a, we're not going to lose to Colorado. I say we because I'm an alum. This is a perfect letdown game to go out there and kind of flounder around. 
You beat up on, you play Stanford well. You got UCLA right around the corner. You got a, a game in between of a team you should beat up on pretty darn good. You're going on the road. It'd be easy to, to go out and win 21-17 and not look real good. So you can't, you can't all of a sudden rip up an old contract and say, hire them right now. We still got some important games to play, and we sure don't want to let, that, let him finish the season. We don't need to hire him right now. And I don't think that's going to let him do would love it. I don't think Coach O thinks that that's an urgent decision. Why? Don't have to. My emotion would say yes. Emotion, I, I got up and turned around. I, I have no problem with him hiring him. If he did hire him right now, Brian, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Who would? Good gracious, right at bet. And all of a sudden, you get, watch what happens. If you lose by 20 to UCLA, you know, everybody says, well, why did we hire him so quick? Why didn't we wait? So, you know, Coach Orgeron's going to, in that situation, you can't win. All you got to do is smile and keep coaching. Now, Pat Hayden's a smart guy. Pat Hayden's a bright guy. Pat Hayden's not an overly emotional guy. He just, he's steady. Let him coach it out. I can promise you this. Coach Orgeron has earned the right to step to, to, to when they end, not just as a come on up and we'll just give you the, the courtesy interview because you're a Trojan. No, he's earned the right to be considered as strongly as Sumlin or Peterson or Del Rio, any of them. He's damn well earned it because he's doing it on the field with that team. See, when you, when you put interim on somebody, everybody says that he's a stopgap and a fill-in. But I assure you, when they did hire him as an interim, nobody thought this would happen other than him and the football players. And that's why it's so amazing when you say, now when I say nobody, I'm being a little overboard, but you know, everybody kind of, well, we're just going to go hire a sexy name. And Coach O'John doesn't fit the, you know, his tie probably a little bit crooked, and he fits what we all love about it. <laughs> but the guy can coach, play, I can recruit, and players love him. And then I want to emphasize something. This, it can't be just emotional. It's got to be well thought out and a judicious decision all the way around, and it will be. But what I love about this man and why I have no problem is most guys would be self-promoting and pounding the chest. He's not. He's got about as little ego on the, on the outside, on the surface of any man in that position at a university like that I've ever seen. Because somebody else is going to come after him to coach him because of what he's done, some other university. USC likes him. We all love him. The players love him. And he's just still coaching. He's just doing his thing. And you know why? He, any man that's in his position says, you know what, I'd still, I love a Trojan. And I actually believe he does bleed Cardinal and Gold when you cut him open. I do. And, 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 and he, is, he is about, epitomizes what UFC, in my mind, when I see a guy like that, what, what, what it's about. And he, I love that he said that he'd stay on anyway, that he wants to just be a Trojan. Now, First and foremost, I, if I'm the new, if I'm Pat Hayden and I hire another coach, I don't care if it's, if it's Nick Saban. If Ed Orgeron doesn't get hired by somebody else and wants to stay on staff, he stays. That, 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 that's, he has earned that right and respect to stay. And, yes, that is one hire that you'd say, well, you can have the job, but this guy stays unless he takes another head coaching job. No question about it. But he's proven he can handle the pressure. He's proven that he can handle the big stage. He's proven that his ego doesn't get in the way of coaching. He's already proven he can recruit, but here's where I am. I, I'm removing myself as a USC guy. I'm putting myself right now in position, and I have done this over the last two weeks. I'm an athletic director, and I'm searching the scour in the country for, for coaches that I want to see that I'm going to interview when the season's over. And here's what I look for in a coach. And if I'm a general manager going after an NFL coach, I look for a few things, the integrity, and it's there. Does he, in college, can he recruit? Nope. No, no question is it there. And then my final two thing is how do players feel about him? And I don't think there's any question about that. And while not only how they feel about him, but 
Can he take ordinary players or an ordinary season? And what happens when it would have been easy for everybody to fold up their tent and go home? What's happened since? Well, you know what's happened since? He's taken them. He's made guys do things, or he's encouraged guys and led people to do things that they weren't able to do the last two years. Maybe capable of doing it, but didn't do it. To me, that's the biggest sign. What does he do to the players that get them to go and do something extra, something special? You're damn right he's earned the right to get an interview. You're damn right it can't just be a passing fancy in an interview. Would I hire him today? No, there's no need. Would I not hire him today? No, there's no need. And I think Coach would like to focus on the rest of this, in my opinion. And then after UCLA, and after a bowl, then, then, then let's deal with it. But I'll tell you what, if you're talking about, you know how we get golfers and, we, and the guy posts his score in the clubhouse <laughs> and everybody else is chasing, Ed Orgeron has posted his, Coach O has posted his score in the clubhouse and it ain't bogeys and it ain't pars. He's throwing a lot of birdies on the board. So you better be really good, Kevin Sumlin. Really good, Chris Peterson. Really good, Jack Dario. And they all are. Because that man's posted his score for the most part in the clubhouse. And he's got a couple more rounds to post. And he's going to be fine. So he just got, I want to make an emotional decision, too. I want to go up and hug him and kiss him on the forehead and say, I'm so glad you're our coach. But I also know that, we, 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 hey, season's still going. And nothing happening between now and, and December 10th other than more football. So let's just play it. But I can promise you this. This can't just be just a, oh, by the way, interview. He, that, 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 that walk up the stairs now to, to Coach Hayden's office, or to, should I say, to Pat Hayden's office, or to walk across the hallway to Pat Hayden's office, just got a little more interesting in a big way. And I love Coach O, and I'm proud of him, and I would be proud to call him the head coach of USC. I will call him the interim coach. I, I, think, it's, I, I think it's unfair. He's the head coach of USC until somebody else gets that job in front of him. And if they don't, then God bless him and amen. We've got a good hire. But there's no reason if we're looking at it right, message boards and the emotion, just, folks, it's going to be okay. Let it happen. Great stuff, Sean. What, one quick thing you mentioned in there, and I, I've, I've done radio hits on this, and I've kind of been mixed feelings about it. I do think that Ed Orgeron would love to stay on, but it, has he won himself out of an assistant coaching job? Has he won so much and become so big that if you hire a Kevin Sumlin or a Chris Peter or someone, that they would have apprehension keeping a guy like that on staff because he's such a huge figure and you have this looming figure that is more popular than you and you're the head coach? Yeah, now, of course it would be. Well, great coaches, think Jimmy Johnson, think Bill Walsh, hire assistants that they expect to be head coaches. Of course, you better – now, I know everybody brings ego and pride to the table. You better be a star personality, and if you're not going to be a star personality, I wouldn't hire you at SM anyway. So let's say they hired Chris Peterson. Let's just say. And everybody knows, you know, if Chris has been, you got to say, okay, if we start off 0 2, has everybody been called for Ed Orgeron? Oh, sure. But you know what? If you start off 0 2, if Orgeron's not on there, we're going to be called for a new coach. That's, that's the knee jerk reaction people give. It's called being a, being a coach, being in pro sports or college sports. So, yeah, you better have a strong personality and be very, very secure in the way you feel. And Coach Orgeron's not going to stab anybody behind the back. That's what you, you call him and you interview him. He understands the position, but I think he's posted such a good score that you, can, you can't hire a meek, submissive head coach that's insecure. He got this job and he's looking over his shoulder all the time. You've got to be secure to know you've got a guy. And for me, if, I, if they hired me as head coach, just kind of using myself as an example, I, I have no problem for one reason. He makes my team better. He makes my university better. And if he makes us better, guess what that does for me? It makes me better. It makes me look better as a head coach. So I would turn it the other way and say, man, I hired him. He's popular. We keep winning. Everybody wins. Like when you win the Super Bowl, everybody writes a book and everybody gets endorsements. So, yes, of course, it's something that he's been so good 
and he's got such a following that the personality of somebody else does get hired, that I can understand why the guy would say, hmm, man alive. I, I, I sure as heck better not screw up. But you know what? A little self-deprecation, admitting that what Coach Orgeron has done has been nothing short of spectacular, and asking the guy to come on and do what he does, and that's not backstab. That's not try to go behind you and get another job. That's going to steal your job. It's called just doing what's right for him, for the university, and for his family. So, but yes, there will, there will, there will be some out there, I can assure you. And not the guys I mentioned, I would hope, but there's some that I'm sure they're going to get interviewed that would have a major issue with it because they'd be a little afraid. But you know what? If that's the type of guy that comes to yes, I, I, don't, I don't want him as my head coach anyway. If he's going to have a problem with that, it's like a quarterback who's my starter as a sophomore, and then we go out and recruit the number one ranked quarterback in the country out of high school, and my starting quarterback wilts and folds his tent and is so insecure and so uptight if he can't play football because he's looking over his shoulder, then guess what? I don't want him as my quarterback. And it's the same as my coach. I want guys that help me win and that have integrity and that bring that and make these young men not only better players, but better young men. And he's done every part of that. But I have a hunch that if he's not the head coach at USC, there's going to be somebody that wants him. Because if, I, I'm, if I'm a athletic director looking for a coach somewhere else and he doesn't get SC, I'm sure as heck saying, I've I, I got to bring that guy in. I, he, 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 is, he is exactly what it's supposed to be. He just doesn't look the part of some beach boy or – you know, dressed up, buttoned up, perfect in a suit guy. But you know what? It's called football. I ain't winning any beauty pageants. And, and I love it. just his voice, everything about him. That I, I'm so, he makes me, he makes me want to be around him. And I'm being, I'm being serious about that. Just how I like to watch the way he operates. And you know what? Sideline demeanor. That's, 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 he, he is, I, I couldn't be more proud. I really couldn't. I feel like, he, you know, I feel like him, it's going to sound odd, but I had the same kind of feeling of emotion and, how I felt about him when, when John Robinson was my head coach. I would have done anything for Coach. Any, I'm telling you, Ryan, I'd have done anything for him. I wish I'd have had him all my whole career. I'd have done anything for, for John Robinson, and I think anybody that played for him would tell you the same thing. While they're different as far as historical and number of wins, but when it comes to how players feel about their coach, uh, I think the current players feel the same way for Coach Orgeron as those of us who played when John Robinson was our coach felt about him that we'd run through over and around a wall, whatever, whatever he asked us to do. But we also had that respectful fear that when he called you to his office, you still had to say, hmm, I wonder what Coach O wants. Is it good or bad? You have to have that to make sure that you still respect the guy. But, oh, he's a player's coach, but he's a player's coach in the right way, not in a soft way. I love the guy, and I hope we give him every look possible. I hope we win the next two games, and I hope that it, 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 it's a – I wouldn't want to be Pat Hayden. Let's put it that way and make that decision. But we ought to be we ought to be awful proud. I don't regardless of what happens the rest of the way, Coach Orgeron's something special and whoever the next head coach is, I would hope that he would recognize that we need him in the building. And if Coach Orgeron's the head coach, then guess what? We got lucky. We're blessed. All right. Well, great stuff, Sean. I really appreciate you taking out a few minutes for us. And you always have a great takes on this. And I, I knew your, your Orgeron take would be epic. So that's what I wanted to hear. So thanks, Well, man. I appreciate it. And you know what? That's a perfect word to describe him and what he's done. And I appreciate the compliment you give me. But I can tell you right now, what he's done has been epic. And the emotion that he got out of everybody involved with the USC program from close and far away against Stanford on Saturday and those teams, just look no further than the players and their performance to judge your coach. And, he, and you know what? We take, take on the personality of your head coach, and thank goodness we take on the personality of, uh, of Coach O. So I'm grateful for him. All right. Well, thanks again, Sean, and everyone else. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week.